C-I-U-T, the sound of your city. There's a light in the kitchen, somebody's home. A woman is sleeping, a man sits alone, alone. All alone. Then comes the dawning, then comes the morning. The woman is yawning, daylight and daylight and daylight. Daylight is born. The roar of the engine, the coffee pot burns. Then off to the office, to a room full of jerks again. And welcome to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. My name is Jesse McDougall. Around this time last summer, I was considering what country we should base our next episode on, and I settled on the place where I'm from, a small state in the United States, the Northeast, called Vermont. Vermont has some beautiful mountains, a lot of good music, and some very authentic people, but a lot has happened to Vermont in the last year, and in the last month, a flood hit central Vermont very hard, flooding out our capital city as well as parts of my own hometown. So on today's show, we're going to hear some first-hand interviews with people who are continuing to deal with the flood's aftermath. You're going to hear some great music from Vermont as well as learn about the connection between Rwanda and Vermont. That is all on this episode about the Green Mountain State. And now I think the chorus of the song is coming back. We'll catch you after the break. This is Tracks from Abroad. Abandoned, others that we take, we take. Oh, 
Hello, my name is Hugo from Guatemala and you're listening to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. You are listening to Tracks from Abroad. This is episode number 76 of our show. Today we're going to be talking about the state of Vermont in the United States, which is where I'm from. And these days, Vermont is recovering from a devastating flood that began on July 9th. It took the lives of two people, ultimately affecting 4,000 private homes and over 800 businesses in this small state. In addition to water sources being poisoned and roadways being shut down, you can imagine just feet and feet of mud and silt was deposited sometimes inside people's homes, which they are having to excavate now, luckily with the help of many volunteers who have stepped up to help the small businesses and the homeowners to just get the mud out of their homes so that they can start rebuilding from this process. And on today's show, I wanted to shed some light on what is going on in Vermont and the efforts that are going on to help people to overcome this problem. Now, today on the show, you're going to hear some interview clips from David Goodman. He is a journalist and a radio host. He hosts a show called The Vermont Conversation, and he graciously uh, allowed me to rebroadcast some parts of his interviews that he did shortly after the floods began in Vermont that really capture very well the distress of Vermonters and also the determination that they are bringing to the fight to help themselves and their neighbors rebound after this challenge. And we should keep in mind here that there is a collective memory from 2011 when a very large tropical storm called Irene rammed through Vermont, causing hundreds of millions of dollars in damage, destroying roadways, bridges, and homes. This storm was a callback to that moment in 2011 when so many Vermonters saw their lives and their livelihoods change as the waters began to rise. And in a moment, you will hear firsthand accounts from Vermonters interviewed by journalist David Goodman, someone who has inspired me to do what I do on this show, Tracks from Abroad, this is CIUT. We'll be back with you in a moment. This was the second so-called 100-year flood in a dozen years. I spent Tuesday sloshing through flood waters in Waterbury and talking to my neighbors about what they're going through and how they're coping. The first person I met was Jeremy Ayers, a local potter. He was standing at the end of Elm Street, which was a lake, peering at his home, which he could only reach by canoe. Jeremy is the fourth generation of his family to live in his house. We came down at 6.30 this morning to see that the basement was full of, of water, but the first floor was clear. I mean, my hope is that we're not going to have to renovate the whole first floor of our house this time, that we are escaping that. It, it feels hard to think about doing that all over again, tearing apart the whole first floor of the house with plumbers and electricians. And, you know, the first couple of days after a disaster, you're not, you're kind of in fight or flight mode. You're not really feeling very emotionally connected to it. You know what I mean? Like that'll come after a, the dip will emotionally will come in a few days. For right now, we're just seeing what we need to do. I'm David Goodman from Vermont Tigger. Can I just ask you what you're doing and how this the community is, is doing at this point? Um, the community's all right. Downtown got really, really hit bad, and we've never seen anything like this in Barrie. I live up on Merchant Street, which is one of the higher elevations in the city, and the street was just a river for hours and hours and hours, and that all poured into downtown. So I think for a lot of folks, the shock, at least for myself, the shock is just really starting to wear off. The first couple days after were just surreal, and it 
it it's very emotional it's very hard um to see so many businesses who worked so hard to get through the pandemic and have done so much great work just get destroyed and of course the north end of town got hit really bad that's when the governor and the federal delegation were here they went down there and folks down there had water up to their chest in the first floor and were just left with over a foot of gross mud and sludge covering their um, neighborhoods and that's what the north end still looks like and so there's parts of town that are going to be able to recover in a couple weeks and there's parts of town that it's going to be months before things are back to normal um, but it's 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 been hard it's been really hard I walk down Main Street in Barrie. I pass a tent staffed by volunteers offering free cleaning supplies, and I stop in at Vermont Bicycle Shop. A dozen volunteers are out back cleaning bikes. Yeah. Can you tell me your name and your business? Uh, Darren Ole, Vermont Bicycle Shop in downtown Barrie. Uh, we've been here seven years. Uh, yeah, been here seven years uh, as of last April. Has the bike community around Vermont played a role in the recovery here? Yeah, I mean, that's who's that's who's here. I'm really big on it. I sold you a bike on Tuesday, and we're going for a bike ride together on Wednesday, and the shop is where I am most of my time, so when people come in there, they're not, they're not coming to my business. They're coming to my home in a way, you know, and that's how we like to treat people when they come in, and, and I think that's why we have this now is that we don't believe in that line of delineation between customer and friend. It's you know, and, it, and that's why everybody's here. This is the people we ride bikes with. This is the people that buy bikes from me. They're the same people. You just heard some recent clips from David Goodman's radio show, The Vermont Conversation. And when we come back, we'll learn more about David's work as a journalist. On my reflection, and it doesn't look like me. Shivers crawl up my spine like a cold, bonchelet. Follow you blindly if you're to soft and kind. 
KYUT 89.5, the sound of your city. You are listening to Tracks from Abroad on KYUT 89.5 FM. Today's show is all about the small state of Vermont in the United States, where I come from. And we are today recognizing the real challenges that Vermonters are going through right now, dealing with the aftermath of the flooding that began on July 9th, really targeting central Vermont and dumping loads and loads of mud throughout many downtown centers that people are now trying to clean up, trying to get back to normal. Eventually, it affected 4,000 homes this storm, or 800 small businesses. And we heard from a small business in Barrie, that bicycle store that David Goodman traveled to uh, for that interview. And I love that owner's idea about blurring the line between customers and friends. And I can tell you, when I went to Decathlon today to buy tennis balls, I did not feel very much as a friend. Um, But if you are in Toronto and you're looking to get your bike fixed, I think a place that really does a good job of making people feel welcome is called Bike Chain. It's on uh, UFT's campus. If you want to get your bike fixed, head over to Bike Chain. But Back to the point at hand, again, we're recognizing, shedding some light on the challenges Vermonters are facing, and also the hard work of journalist David Goodman. He hosts a show called The Vermont Conversation on WDEV, which happens to be one of the few remaining family-owned stations in the entire country. That's WDEV. We're going to shout them out here on CIUT. And I recently heard a great interview by a Vermonter named Barney Smith. He hosts a show called Story Comic, where he interviews authors and other figures in Vermont life. And he interviewed David Goodman, asking him about how he became a journalist and some of the important and award-winning projects that he has worked on in his time. So I reached out to Barney, and Barney said it was okay if I would rebroadcast a part of this interview here with David Goodman. So in his own words, let's have David Goodman explain some of his work as a journalist. Again, Someone who has influenced me positively, I think, to make this show Tracks from Abroad. So I graduated college in 1983, and I just started freelancing around Boston and uh, writing for publications there, Boston Magazine. Uh, I was also an Outward Bound instructor in the summers. So the outdoors was my passion. And then uh, I had done a story about the renaissance of backcountry skiing in the early, mid, in the mid 80s for Cross Country Skier magazine. So it blended my passion for history, for outdoor adventure, and for telling stories. So it was sort of a historical piece about uh, how there was a heyday of backcountry skiing in the 1930s. It went away and it was coming back there in the 80s. And right at that moment, the Appalachian Mountain Club was interested in doing a guidebook, uh, its first skiing guidebook in a half century, and thus began you know, what has come to be known as the Backcountry Skiing Bible, the only North uh, Backcountry Skiing Guidebook to the Northeast, which I've done now five of them. If you told the 20-something David Goodman that this book that he was doing almost as a lark to ski and write about it, I would have laughed. And if you told me I would be doing it 30 plus years later, five editions later, I would have wondered what you were smoking. It still includes my passion for social justice issues and environmental issues. 
you know, skiers are the canary in the coal mine for climate change. And I do include in all of my books uh, an invocation that if you ski and you love to ski, we are, our habitat is threatened by climate change and you need to be active to do anything you can to address those issues. So um, it represents all the things I'm interested in. But also wrote a book about South Africa's transformation from apartheid uh, that came out in 1999 called Fault Lines. And I went to the representative of the African National Congress, that's Nelson Mandela's political party. Uh, it was banned in South Africa, but there was a representative in Boston and I knew him, Temba Vilakazi. And I said, you know, kind of sheepishly, so I kind of would like to go to South Africa, you know, the place we're always saying boycott. And I said, what do you think? And he replied very quickly. He said, if you can, he says, I can't get in. I can't go there. He said, but you can. And if you go there, you have a responsibility to tell people what you see. So I have kind of taken that my, my whole life, that I have a responsibility to tell people what I see when I go to places that perhaps others can't go, whether it's the top of a wild mountain in winter or, um, you know, a shanty town in South Africa, uh, I still try and bring back those voices. We just heard from David Goodman on Tracks from Abroad. That was from the podcast Story Comic coming out of Vermont. And again, David Goodman, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for inspiring me to make this show. And I'm happy to announce David Goodman will also be winning a Ski Journalism Award from the Vermont Ski and Snowboard Museum coming up in October. You can read his work in the New York Times and far beyond. You can check out some of his books, too. And after this song, we're going to hear from this band's lead singer. You're hearing Rubble Bucket right now on Tracks from Abroad. We're going to be back with Cal Traver, another Vermonter today on Tracks from Abroad. This is CIUT.
welcome to Tracks from Abroad. Thank you so much for having me, Jesse. Absolutely. Let's talk about your your musical acts. So you have two main ones. What are you working on now? Right now, well, my two main acts are Cowbells and Rubble Bucket. And I'm working on both of them right now. Yeah. So those are what's that's the, the two pots that are simmering on yeah. the stove. Well, to start from the very beginning, I'm going to ask you what attracted you to become a musician and to learn about music. I rem- have really early memories of being at my dad's band practices when he had this group called the Wilder Singers, and that was named after Wilder, Vermont. And I'm trying to remember because there's definitely a few. I like have these memories of being in Wilder and like running around the yard barefoot and just singing like everywhere. Yeah. I mean, we had a really musical upbringing, as you know, since we're family. We, you know, we always sing when we're together. And in our smaller nuclear family, we always sang around the dinner table every night. And our parents sang us lullabies and harmonized. And it just really was woven in from an early age and became a joy early on. So you went to UVM in Vermont. And did you take a music program when you were there? Yeah, I started without any major. And by and I met, yeah, Alex, my bandmate in Rubble Bucket, we met like day one. And I just kind of got sucked into the music program it was really hard to grant myself that I could focus on music because it just felt like, you know, the whole society is saying that can't be, you know, that you can't really have a career in the arts and you shouldn't try. And I'm glad that I have the had the empowerment of my friends and community to just say, yeah, why not? Just go for it. See mm-hmm. what happens. <laughs> is Do you think Burlington is a pretty musical city? Oh, man. I think, you know, when we've toured abroad a little bit, I remember going and playing in Montreal, playing shows in Montreal. And it always felt, this is similar to Burlington. It's like, those are two cities that have such a rich local music scene that you'll play and all these people will come out of the woodwork, like, ah, like voraciously, they don't get any music and they need to come hear whoever's in town. And with Burlington, it's like, there's just so much going on constantly. And I felt the same thing in Montreal. It's like walking into a space that already has like a very rich, fertile ecosystem. But from where you live in sort of central Vermont, Burlington is pretty far. So growing up, what access did you have to any sort of shows? And what were some of the first shows you saw that opened your opened your eyes, opened your mind to what music could be, what you could do? My, my grandmother on my mom's side, Nana, Virginia, took me to some shows at the Flynn Theater. And also, I know my dad took me out to see Ornette Coleman at the Flynn Theater. It's so cool to think about like a young brain just getting fed free jazz. <laughs> and like that exact iteration of primetime was super funky. Maybe somebody has never been to Vermont or doesn't really know what Vermont looks like. How would you describe Vermont? The first thing that I think about is white pine trees. Yeah, I don't know why crows and white pines and lichen and oak trees. And um, I've been making, I've been getting more and more really into tree identification during COVID. Really? Um, I'm definitely not that good at it, but my, my parents are really good at it. So yeah, I think about delicious cheese. And from my awareness, it's always been a place of kind of like radical healing. <laughs> there are so many people here who are respecting each other and ourselves and the land. And I feel like that's what, why I keep coming back to Vermont is to find and just explore and be yoke myself with those pockets of people mm-hmm. and non-human people. <laughs> Cal Traver of Rubble Bucket and of Cowbells, thank you so much for coming on Tracks from Abroad. Thank you so much for having me. 
Hello, hello, everybody. This is Jesse McDougall for Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. And around this time last summer, I made an episode all about Vermont. Now, typically on the show, we pick a certain country in the world and we try to give listeners a sense of what it's like to come from there, what it's like to eat the foods from, from wherever it may be or to, uh, to speak the language. But today we're focusing on where I'm from. This is Vermont in the northeastern corner of the United States that we're talking about. We've had a few interviews on today's show, and the last one was with Cal Traver of the band Rubble Bucket and Cowbells. And now we're going to talk to a professor, or rather a teacher, from my high school in Vermont. I went to a pretty small high school called Harwood Union, and we're gonna be talking with an English teacher from that school. His name is Steve Rand. And Steve, I think, is fantastic because he has been running for the past 20 years a program uh, an exchange program taking students from Vermont, again, in this very small school, to Rwanda. That was the Rwanda connection I mentioned at the top of the show. He does this with students in February, taking them to Eastern Africa, and it's really an incredible story and process that he's going to talk about on this next segment of our program. So here is my interview with Steve Rand, which I began by asking Steve to describe this school, Harwood Union High School, and I gotta tell you, this is one of my favorite interviews that I've done on this show so far. This is Tracks from Abroad. The nature of the school, it's a small rural school that serves five districts. Currently, we have a little bit over 500 students that attend seventh grade through 12th grade. The program that we had developed um, back in 2004 this travel study to Rwanda really was encouraged because we had been doing, or that school, Harwood, had been doing international travel studies for a long time. And one in particular that was a highlight of that school was pro uh, a program called Project Harmony. In the late 1980s and early 90s, students from Harwood would go to then the Soviet Union. And the idea was to bridge the Cold War conflict that was transpiring. Some really astute and thoughtful, um, risk-taking teachers decided that they would bring students to the Soviet Union and bring the Soviet Union students to Vermont. We were trying to, trying to bridge the political divide and just connect with people. And so we had teachers that have been involved with Project Harmony that helped establish the new travel study to Rwanda. And that was focused on the work that a former student was doing as part of the recovery of the genocide in 1994. So he and his father, they did an outreach assembly. And this personal stories that we heard about people surviving the genocide inspired both students and staff to learn more about the place. And it resonated greatly to me. Thank you for sharing that about Project Harmony. I did not know that existed and crossing the Iron Curtain, I think they say. That's really incredible. And you mentioned also school assemblies, which is something I remember uh, very much at Harwood. I was on the assembly crew. And I know that you also coordinated assemblies for a long time. So talk about the role of assemblies at Harwood in bringing the community together and what is an assembly? 
I think it can be the heartbeat of the school. I really do. We originally, it was always entitled the Monday Morning Assembly, and it started in 1996. And the idea was to practice um, citizenship, you know, and practice. It's almost like practice for town meeting, even though we only have that once a year in Vermont, which is a really amazing experience. I think you might have to explain town meeting to people in Toronto. Yeah, so town meeting is... um, an extraordinary opportunity for our s- small local rural Vermont communities to get together to talk about our town and to raise the level of consciousness of what's going on in the town and also um, make some very important decisions about how we manage our community, how we interact in our community. The idea was, can we prepare students for this very important town meeting in March every year. It's always a fixed date. It's always the first Tuesday in March. And, you know, you spend the entire morning just talking and then you do some voting. And it's it happens. Everybody in Vermont participates in it. Well, another part of assemblies is the music. And I think Harwood is lucky to have such a fantastic music program because when I first arrived at Harwood, during the assembly band was playing Just What I Needed by The Cars. It was amazing. I love that moment. And talk about the bands that play. Our flagship are the arts at our school. It's renowned statewide. The idea was how many students can we get involved with the assembly program? How many can we get on stage, even if they don't speak, or if they want to sing, or if they want to act, or if they have a message? You know, the music itself, it's it's always been a bookend. You know, it's what starts the show and ends the show. And again, it's a really celebration of the arts. Well, Steve, we're going to take a music break on Tracks from Abroad. We're going to listen to an artist who sprung up from the music program at Harwood, Grace Potter. We'll be back on CIUT 89.5. I don't need no destination. I got everywhere to go. I'm a walking invitation. I'm the dog. I've learned to trust my intuition 
even when it makes me scared, even when I'm hearing voices and seeing things that I'm not there. I saw a little girl standing by the side of the road with a blue dress on and a voodoo doll. I pulled over. I said, I'll give you a ride. She vanished right before my eyes. I Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. My name is Jesse McDougall. Today we're talking about Vermont, a small state in northeastern United States of America. It's where I'm from, and uh, we are talking today with Steve Rand. He is a teacher at my old high school, and Steve, I really am impressed that for so many years you have run a program taking students from our high school all the way to Rwanda. Talk about how this started. Again, this this idea of Project Harmony was sort of the inspiration. And it was a former student, Jesse Hawks and his father, who had come to Harwood and did some outreach. And there was one particular student named Troy Souter, a young man who had been reading this intense book called Shaking Hands with the Devil. And it was about Romeo Dallaire, the UN general in charge in 1994, when unfortunately that country of Rwanda devolved into genocide, whereby one tribal group tried to annihilate the other. Um, Unofficially, it's over a million people that lost their lives in 100 days. When we started this program, it really was about trying to understand like how do people recover from such a devastating event in their life? So they had to come up with a restorative process which they called a gachacha. You have perpetrators of genocide living in communities right near survivors of genocide, and they're trying. They're trying to make it work. And if Rwanda can do this, can it be an example to other places on the planet? It's, it's a three-week immersion experience, and we always go in February. They are really trying to study the culture and the people and the geography of the place, and they're paying they're, they're learning strategies on how to pay close attention to what they hear and what they see. Um, and we bring these stories back. Upon returning, we always do a public presentation and invite community from all of the five towns. Um, and we had an amazing one this year. It really was. It was at the Zen Barn. And I got to tell you, I was so impressed with the student work. Steve, when you first went to Rwanda, that was 10 years after this genocide that took place. Can you 
tell us about that first trip. And then after 20 years, how have you seen this program change? Or have you, have you seen Rwanda change over time? So the first trip that I took, Rwanda was trying to establish some, some institutions. They have invested everything they can into that healthcare system and into their justice system. And now what is the biggest change in Rwanda is they want to be a technological hub, the cell phone, Wi-Fi, internet center of East Africa. And it's extraordinary. They often talk about how they started from scratch. They actually called it ground zero. They started from ground zero. They, they say that they couldn't have gone anywhere but up and keep going up. How do students respond to traveling all the way to Eastern Africa? What have you seen in terms of reactions from students? The culture shock is intense initially, but inevitably students learn that they are extremely similar to other people on the planet. This aha moment that each of them have at one time or another, it might happen in a homestay, you know, could happen on a hike or a bike ride. When we lay in there, we stay in um, what are called Jesuit centers, which are like hostels, just think hostel. And then they go to homestays. It's actually in a neighborhood made up of genocide survivors. And they were orphans of the genocide. And so these people have amazing stories to share with students. This is Jesse jumping in with a little context. I reached out. I reached out. I reached out. That's right. That's correct grammar. I reached out to some students from uh, 2018 who went on this trip, and uh, I got some responses back. So here is one talking about her experience uh, in these homestays. The homestays were probably the most memorable part of the experience. I um, got placed with this younger woman, Gloria, and then she also had some other close friends that would come over. It was fun because the people that we stayed with were like definitely like younger. They weren't like necessarily like our parents, but more like our friends or our siblings. It's a couple nights where we like stayed up and were like dancing. And so that was that was like something that would definitely like struck me about their culture is just like the like kindness and the like openness and they taught us our dance their dance moves and like it was just like I mean obviously insane to think about our like the vast differences between our child and hers because she was like born like during the genocide so she was like like a few years older than us by the time they leave the the homestay they really know the culture the culture shock is worn off and they're more they're more open to um, just doing a deeper dive, deep dives into our um, experiences. Hello, everyone. My name is Brendan from Toronto. You're tuned in on CIUT 89.5. I used to think maybe you love me. Now, baby, I'm sure. And I just can't wait till the day when you knock on my door Now every time I go to the mailbox, gotta hold myself down Cause I just can't wait till you write me your coming around I'm walking on sunshine, oh Walking on sunshine, oh, walking on sunshine, oh, now don't it feel good?
I used to think maybe you love me Now I know it's true But I just can't spend my whole life Just waiting for you I don't want you back for the weekend Not back for the day Oh no, no Cause baby I just want you back And I want you to stay I'm walking on sunshine Oh Walking on sunshine Oh, walking on sunshine Oh, now don't it feel good I feel like I feel like I feel like Walking on sunshine, oh, walking on sunshine, oh, walking on sunshine, oh, now don't it feel good? Walking on sunshine. Welcome back to Tracks from Abroad on CIUT 89.5 FM. My name is Jesse McDougal. Today, I'm speaking with Steve Rand. He is a teacher at the Harwood Union High School in Vermont, a high school that I went to, and I'm happy to be uh, asking him about the Rwanda program he does, in which he takes students from Vermont all the way to Rwanda. And I'd like to ask you, Steve, in teaching students about the genocide that took place in Rwanda. How do you approach that? It's got to be challenging, but worthwhile. Yeah, it's part of our pre-trip planning to cover that topic. You know, Rwanda is not defined by the genocide, but it kind of lurks in the, the, the shadows of its culture, right? It's still this piece that we can't neglect. I stress highly that students bring journals and that they journal daily and that they bring their journals to the genocide sites so we can just sit after and contemplate what we've seen. You know, some students are very willing and open to talk about it, some are not. You know, it's still a lot. It's a lot when you think about the cruelty that had transpired in such a beautiful place. So that usually comes up. It's like a juxtaposition. You know, a lot of students are like, my God, we're in this landscape that's beautiful, but yet this very ugly thing happened where it wasn't this grand technological eradication of people. It were 10 cent machetes and a radio was the communicative tool. How did this resentment among one group of people formulate? So colonialism is, is an aspect that hopefully most of us, students and adults can land on and say, you know, colonialism plays a role in this. And I think, you know, a lot of students see people that are removed from a genocide, acting very joyous. So that tells them something about recovery, like what you can get over, what you can overcome, resiliency. All these people that they meet are modeling resiliency. So I'm hoping that somehow that gets into their fiber. 
So, Steve, you've recently had a very exciting development thanks to Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who provided a travel study grant. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's to the, the school, and I'm hoping that it's a, it becomes this district-wide opportunity whereby students will travel both nationally and internationally, and we'll develop partnerships with schools, and those schools will have an exchange with us, and they will come to Vermont. And we're really excited about that. Sure. I'm remembering uh, a particular student because at Harwood, we also had exchange students who simply came through the Rotary program. And uh, I believe Muhammad from Palestine, I remember in particular, who I took snowboarding one night at Bolton Valley uh, under the lights. So those experiences are very valuable. And, and here where I am in Spain, I meet a lot of students doing Erasmus exchange programs in Europe. What do you think is the importance of cultural exchange and of having young people who are aware of different ways of life around the world? I think it's vital. I mean, for the last 20 to 30 years, we've been entwining our, our economies. And I do think Europe has a much better model than us currently in terms of our, its public schooling and its ability to support travel studies. But we also know that there's students in our school at Harwood that will never leave the United States and or may never leave Vermont. So this is an opportunity to bring the culture into our building. But I think if we can get a wider range of students involved in cultural exchanges, then we'll, we'll be doing great work. Well, Steve Rand of Harwood Union High School, I want to thank you very much for coming on to Tracks from Abroad. I saw that in 2016, you won, I think, an honorable mention for Teacher of the Year in Vermont. And while I'm glad that there is apparently competition for this role, that means that there's a lot of fantastic teachers in my state. Um, I do think you should be put back into the running <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jesse. Great talking with you. For anybody out there listening in Toronto or around the world to Tracks from Broad, if you'd like to get more information about the Rwanda program, why don't you send me an email at tracksfromabroad at ciut.fm. I can send you some information uh, about this fantastic program that Steve has been running for almost 20 years. It is now time to wrap up this show, Tracks from Abroad, episode number 76. Typically, we visit countries around the world. We talk to international students at the University of Toronto and play some music from each of these countries. But today was the second edition of a show where I reflect a little bit on the place where I'm from. That's Vermont, USA, a small country in the Northeast. Today, you know, basically on every single show, I like to thank the people who came on to be guests in interviews. And today we had four. We had David Goodman doing his interviews on his show, The Vermont Conversation. David Goodman is a journalist and a radio host. We also uh, want to thank Barney Smith for allowing us to use part of his interview with David Goodman. You can find Barney Smith at Story Comic online. We also talked to Cal Traver today of the band Rubble Bucket. And lastly, Steve Rand, teacher at Harwood. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Steve taught me a lot about that program that he's been running, and I hope inspired some people out there as well, maybe teachers, to think about how to uh, do exchanges because they are very valuable uh, tools to help students see different parts of the world, as we are trying to do on Tracks from Abroad, showing you different corners of the planet through music and conversation. Now, I also want to add that Tracks from Abroad is looking for volunteers for this fall semester. If you're a CIUT volunteer or you want to become a volunteer, 
I hope you'll send me an email at tracksfromabroad at ciut.fm. We have one more song to play for all of you before this show wraps up, and stay tuned on CIUT for Indigenous Waves coming up at 7. My name is Jesse McDougall, and I will see you next week. As a tomb suffocated in doubt And then I came out Live wire, true to the game You blew the flame out I spit fire, lit it again And through the struggle I scuffed a few knees and scraped the knuckle Crash course the game of death Sabotage my safety buckle Searching for trouble On any corner, cozy to post Option to double, but we trying to triple that most uh-huh. Even some scores Get a few breaks on the raw Tapping some jaw Avoiding all traps from the law Running through buildings Scraping bottom sides of the sky We open off live Connect and get the whole of the pie The piece of the dream The scheme of a neighborhood team The new kick gleam Going hand in hand with the fiends So what it all mean Comatose and people for cash I'm watching my stash And making sense of risking my ass I listen for the shake And any kind of work that's fake And look to escape The mental paradises for break I know you want to be free But you can't find what you need And so